Well, amen. You can be seated. Uh, you can be opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We are in a short series called the 2022 Challenge. Uh, we're talk- uh, by the way, if uh, Church for Kids is on, we are having that. And uh, so if you have a child who wants to go to Church for Kids, uh, Pastor Stevens there in the back waiting for you. So you go ahead. And it looks like you got some eager participants coming. Praise the Lord. Um, anyway, we're in this uh, short series and we started off with fasting and then we went to faith and th- this week is family. Um, this happens in January. We talk about family a lot on this day every year anyway. And I appreciate coming again and uh, I appreciate she stayed. You, you know, you speak in a lot of churches and sometimes you just want to go home after that and, and uh, that she would stay. I appreciate that very much uh, that you would be with us this morning. But um, today we're talking about the family. And, uh, and, and let me just give a caveat real quick. And that is anytime I talk about any part about the family, I realize that in any size group whatsoever, there are so many um, hurts, I will say. Uh, maybe you're single and you want to get married. Maybe you're married and you haven't been able to have children or haven't had children or or some other uh, breakup of, of a relationship like that. Um, and, and, you know, we're even today, we're reminded that, that uh, some people are led <clears throat> into a, a bad decision concerning a pregnancy. And you have a lot of hurt about that. And I, I want to recognize that and understand that. I also want to lift up, this is what God says and what we can strive for. And, and so the good news of the gospel is this, that there is no sin so deep that his grace is not deeper still. And uh, don't ever forget that. And don't ever take anything I'm saying as a condemnation. But rather, uh, if the Holy Spirit convicts you uh, and there's something you can do, then you can do that. And I'll be glad to love you and pray with you and help you any way I possibly can. So that caveat, I'm not going to keep making that caveat, okay? We're going to talk about it uh, this morning. And I want you to look with me in Genesis 1 just real quickly. These A few verses Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and we see where God created man and, and, and his intention for mankind. In Genesis 1, 26 uh, and, uh, through 28, uh, the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There is so much that grows out of that. It's unbelievable. As you know, we were in a series in Genesis. We're going to come back to that. But this is foundational to to a lot of our understanding as believers. But let me read uh, chapter 2 before uh, I get carried away into that. And the Lord God said, chapter 2, verse 18, It is not good the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, this is very foundational to our understanding. Anything outside of a man and a woman in marriage is a perversion and a sin against God. So I'm going to go ahead and let Facebook cut us off quick. Um, so transgenderism, um, homosexuality, all these things are perversions on God's plan. This, remember in Genesis, we were talking about foundation. Everything comes out of Genesis. It's the beginning of all the things we believe. And those verses set that tone, set that, set that uh, idea before us so that we realize that anything outside of that, a man and woman, a committed relationship in marriage, but it is God's will. In fact, we, so many people are, oh, I don't like marriage. I'm against marriage, uh, blah, 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 because they think a man thought that up. God thought that up. And God thought up everything that involves that and as part of that. And, and so we want to do it the way God said to make it the best. I, I love family. I love the family. I love having family. I grew up in a, um, an extended large family, a lot of cousins around me on my mother's side. Uh, we were a few hundred miles from my, a couple hundred miles from my dad's family, but we traveled up there every year. And, and so my dad was one of 11, my mom was one of six. I just loved family and always have. And, and uh, when Janice and I met, uh, she, her parents had divorced when she was very, very young, two years old. And she grew up in a single mom household and God bless her. Uh, thank God for her. She's a wonderful mom. And, uh, but Janice didn't know much about her dad's family. And, uh, and what, her niece uh, is married to a, a really great man and and uh, he got interested in genealogy and stuff. So she bought him a subscription to one of the genealogical researchers. I'm not going to give them free advertising. If they want to send me some money, I'll say their name. <laughs> and I was just joking there. Um, but anyway, he started looking into it. And Janice had never known much about her dad's family at all. And this was specifically what he started looking into because that was his wife's maiden name. Same maiden name as my wife, Valentine. And started looking into that family. And as I said, Janice came from a broken home, grew up with a single mom. Um, her dad had a lot of issues. Thank God he got saved a couple years before he passed away. And we thank God for that. But just a lot of that kind of, where did I come from? What, what's going on? Well, this guy started doing research. And I'll start with the furthest back he found. This name may not mean much to you. But she is a direct descendant of John Knox. Now, John Knox is the founder of the Church of Scotland, the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. Mary, Queen of Scots, did not like him because he used to call her bad names in the pulpit, okay? He would give her the business. She said, that's why she's so good at helping me with sermons. <laughs> but it was a direct line, straight down. And all of a sudden, she said, wow. That's in my family. That is, all of a sudden, they're gaining this sense of belonging, a sense of, 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 of meaning in a, in a sense. Now, the counterbalance to that is what Vance Havner said. If the only thing you have to brag about is your ancestors, you're like a potato. Best part of you is underground. So, just understand that. But, 
Yes, we, we need to become what we want our kids to look back at and go, wow, that was my grandfather, great-grandfather, super great-grandfather. One part of her family I'm very proud of is one of her great-grandfathers fought with the Swamp Fox in South Carolina. Now, if you, if you saw the movie The Patriot, that was based on the Swamp Fox. You don't know who he is. His name's Francis Marion. So I was like, that's cool. She goes, yeah, but what about John Knox? I go, yeah, but that's cool right there. <laughs> so it's just a, it's, it's a blessing that God has given us. And the Bible says in Psalms, the lines have fallen to me in goodly places. As we preach through Genesis, and, and as I see how God was protecting the line and giving us the genealogy so that in Matthew and Luke, we can see the genealogy of Jesus through both his mother and father all the way back to Adam. It, it, it says that God is paying attention to how you got here. And if God is doing that and you are aware of God in your life, you know God, you've, he's revealed himself to you, you've met him and you follow him, then you want to leave something for your family, for your children. The reality is, I, I've looked into my family a little bit, I couldn't tell you right now my great-grandfather's names. It just, it escapes me. Now, just think, that's just, that's my, that's my grandfather's father. And I, I couldn't tell you his name right offhand right now. I, I've looked at it, I've read it, but I lose it quickly. So, understand that as you're passing things along, you're only a little distance away. In fact, yesterday Janice saw this little post in 19... We are as close to 1970 today as someone who was alive in 1919. Think about that. 50 years on either side of that, basically. That's, that's amazing because a lot of y'all in here remember 1970. Some of y'all were hippies in 1970. <laughs> I was only 10. I wasn't old enough to be a hippie yet, but I was thinking that way. Right? So our family does matter in our life. And that's why God put us in a family. He calls us a family. He calls us his brothers or his sisters, that God is our father. And he wants us to understand himself in that way. So here's what I want you to take home with you today. We know an artist by his creation, and God created the family. This was God's idea. Why? Because it is in the family that we, that is our culture. Now, you get a bunch of people living around each other and you start having kind of a common culture. You have a common language. You have a common belief system sometimes. But you still have distinctives in individual families even within that culture. And that smaller culture is what is passed on. I see it in my children. I see it uh, backwards into those from whom I come. I've heard my son say things and act in ways my father acted and said, and my father was dead before he was born. I heard him say something, almost a quote of something I used to say, and he had never heard me say it. But one day he said, I was like, I can't believe this. It's unreal. We, we, we pick up things that we don't even realize in our homes. This is just encouragement. I, I, I wasn't going to say, I, I, I go to a doctor. I'm going to say this one anyway. I go to a doctor, and, and one day I went to the doctor, and, and she's a, a, a white lady, and she's very smart. And I only say that because it's important in the story. And the door opened, and an a African-American lady walked in, and she said, obviously, I'm not Dr. Kirby. I said, no, obviously, you're not. And so she began talking to me, and she was a doctor, and she was doing whatever. And, 
And, and I was listening to her talk because I kind of like to hear people, how they say words and where they, and kind of try to even guess where they come from. And she was speaking very plain English, but I kept hearing these hints. And I finally said, may I ask you a personal question? She said, sure. I said, where are you from? She said, why? Or she said, New York. And, and, I, and I said, I didn't hear New York in my head. And I said, where are your parents from? And then she said, why? I said, because I hear Jamaica and West Africa. She said, my dad's from West Africa. My mom's from Jamaica. Now, that's not about me. I'm saying in our families, we pass that along. And we don't even realize what our children pick up. If you've ever had a child who's beginning to talk, suddenly you remember what they pick up. <laughs> when you hear them say what you said, you go, whoops, I got to quit saying that. You get what I'm after. Well, let's look at the parts of the family real quick. First of all, I just want to have a word about marriage. Um, we, we did a special Sunday night a few months back uh, just to address some issues of divorce and remarriage and things. And, and I want to give you a verse, and it's Exodus 21.10. And, uh, and I'll just read it to you. You write it down, look it up. By the way, the sermon... The notes are on our app and online and on our webpage. And, at, uh, and the one online has links to some focus in the family things to help you in devotions and in your family life. And you can go online and, and grab those if, if you want to. But in, in Exodus 21.10, this is in the light of a man if he's married and he takes a second wife. Now understand that. Uh, because I like to put our verses in context, not tear it out of context. But listen to what he says. If a man does that, here is what he has to do. If, a, if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. Did you know those are the same three things we still say in our vows today? That Exodus 21.10 says that when a man marries, no matter... In their day, they would marry multiple women at the same time. He is not to diminish her substance that in all my riches I thee endow. Not to diminish her clothing, her protection. That he is to protect her, to give her a home, to give her a, a, a place of safety. Or her marital rights, I cleave to you and you alone for as long as we both shall live. It's the same thing that's in the marriage vows today. It hasn't changed since Exodus 21.10. God thought of marriage, and this is what he demands of a man in marriage, that he is to provide those, but really the woman is also to provide the same thing back. She is to prepare the food that he brought. She is to live in the house that he built. And she is to return the physical affection that he shows her. Right? Y'all got real quiet all of a sudden. Y'all afraid, what's he going to say? How's he going to say that, right? It is a picture of God's nature, marriage is. Is that not what God provides? Jesus said, look at the flowers of the field. They don't sow, I mean, they don't, they don't uh, sow cloth. They don't do that, but they're, better, they're more beautiful than Solomon in his glory. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap. And yet your father feeds them. You see, God takes care of us like he expects us to take care of each other in marriage. It is a picture of God's nature, and it's a picture of Christ in the church. Christ brings us under the safety, spiritually speaking, of his grace, of his mercy. 
That doesn't mean we won't experience physical harm because we have an enemy who's coming after us. We kind of don't keep clear in our mind the spiritual reality in which we live. And that is that God loves us, he saved us, he protects us, but we got an enemy. And in God's sovereign will, sometimes he'll let the enemy have a little bit of leeway in our life. Why? To bring us back to him. I tell you, when you get in trouble, Jesus ought to be the first word out your mouth. And you ought to be, you know, those prayers that aren't now our Heavenly Father, but it's those ones you hit your knees about halfway down the hall and slide up to the bed going, God, I need you, you know. Sometimes that's how it is. And, but he never leaves us or forsakes us. He promised that when we do find ourselves in difficulty, he is with us. It is the strongest promise in the Bible. And so the, the marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And I would add at this point, in a, in a healthy marriage of healthy individuals, there are babies. And if church is not producing babies, there's a breakdown in the relationship. And we need to take that seriously. We need to look at that as we go through this year. We need to be praying that God would give us new children in the kingdom for him, as well as new children in our families. And marriage is about sacrificial love because God... You remember the definition, the Greek word is agape, and the definition someone else made up, but I memorized is this, that love is self-denial in order that I may give myself to the one loved for their sake, seeking nothing in return. I'm going to say that again. People, every time I say that, somebody comes up and goes, I didn't catch all that. I want to hear it again. So let me, let me share it. It's John 3.16, just paraphrase, but agape love, God's kind of love is self-denial God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Self-denial, in order that you might give yourself to the one loved, he sent his son, God himself came to us. Self-denial, in order that you might give yourself to the one loved for their sake, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Self-denial, so to bless them, it is self-denial that you might give yourself to the one loved for their sake, seeking nothing in return. What did God get back in that? Nothing. And God says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to save you because I'm going to get all this. No. God only gives. And that is what we're called to in marriage. And it's a picture of Christ in the church. It's a picture of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do that for, for our brothers and sisters as well, of course, in a lot of different ways. And if God wills, and you do have children, as Genesis 1.28, he says, be fruitful and multiply. We see the fatherhood of God. That, that that God wants to be our father. I'm going to come to a verse in a minute that talks about how much God is our father. It's a picture of, of God's tenderness to us. He nurtures us as a child and he as our father. Jesus teaches to pray and he said, pray, when you pray, go in your closet and pray like this. Our father who is in heaven, holy is your name. We give him that proper respect, but we begin with familiarity. And in a sense, we think it ought to be the other way around. But we get to come into his presence as children to a father. You see, Jesus was born into a family. Right? When he came to save us, he put himself in a family. Now, we, we brag about Mary all the time, but Joseph had to be some kind of man. And read Matthew if you want to see what kind of man he was. He was an amazing man. 
And God put Jesus in a family. And the Bible says in Luke 2, after he stayed back at the temple when he was 12, and they said, what are you doing? You're driving us crazy. And he said, didn't you know I had to be at my father's house? And it says, but he went home and was subjected to them, and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And so God has placed us in these families, and, and he's given us these roles. I, I want you to see the actions of a family. In, in Psalm 68, this is a, you may have heard this verse before, but, but if, you, if you want to turn there, but please at least write it down. It's, it's a great promise. I've claimed this promise for people, and sometimes we need it for ourselves. But in Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, it says, God is the father of the fatherless and a protector of widows. Is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. As, as we think about those babies that wind up in what we fight against in abortion, we think about them, and I'm sure I, I didn't ask her, and I didn't look up a statistic, but I'm so sure many of those young women, there is the, the biological father of those children, be hard to find him with a warrant from the FBI, that they had their pleasure and left. And God is a father to the fatherless. And when those babies die, it touches God's heart. Think about that. If you're here and your father's gone, God is your father. If you didn't have a father growing up like my wife, God is your father. God is our father. My goodness. What do we lack? Why, why are we afraid? God acts as a father and a husband to the orphan and the widow. And he sets the lonely in a family. I mentioned singleness earlier. God gifts some people with singleness, but it is a gift. It is an exception. And I know if some of you may be single and you're praying, God, I don't want that gift. There's some presents like, you know, the ugly sweater that you don't want. Sometimes that might be it. I, by the way, if you don't want it, evidence you don't have it and God will take care of you but God sets the lonely in a family he brings them into the kingdom and the church and I, I, I want to encourage those who may feel that way lonely or, or by themselves but I want to turn it around for the rest of us what does that mean about us we're supposed to be loving the lonely and the solitary we're supposed to be ministering to them and taking care of them and so sometimes we forget that we are to act like a family with the children of God in the church and we need to do that with a lot of love and care and and, and by the way just while we're on the subject what is the church's response to children and families in, in the area of abortion I, I I want to challenge us and and Hear, hear me well. Let, let me. I'm, this may sound like over-explanation, but just, just hear me well for a second, if you'll indulge me. And that is, our church is involved in a lot of different things. And not 100% of us will be physically involved in 100% of those things because it would be humanly impossible. So with that caveat, are we just giving money or throwing money at comfort care? 
or do we care about those women who are in need? Listen, they need their grass mowed. They, they got a big yard and a beautiful house. Sometimes they might need some repairs or some furniture. They might need some encouragement. They might need some help. They might need somebody to come and say, I'm just going to clean the bathrooms for you. Right? She's shaking her head, yes. So, yeah. Sometimes there's just some needs. You say, well, I, I couldn't counsel a lady. I don't know what to do. I, hey, you know, they might need a room painted. They might need to, I don't know. Ask Stephanie. Call them up. Hey, hey preacher, preacher's talking and I felt it. Let me, how can I help? You know, and I'm sure she will share with you if she, if she can. But will we take in that girl in an emergency, in an unsought for pregnancy that wants to give the baby life, but maybe it can't? stay or keep that baby or maybe people within the church who've taken in or want to adopt how do we help them how do we serve them that is not a cheap proposition by the way that takes money it takes lawyers it takes a lot and so how do we as a church respond and and then we say all that and we even say boy it's popular around here so we are a we are a family church we are a children-based church well how many of y'all serve in the nursery serving Church for kids, serve in vacation Bible school, help in Awana, help in Sunday school for kids. You see, it's one thing to say you're for something. It's another thing to do something about it. And if we're a family, we need help. We still need help. After COVID, we, couldn't, we wanted to restart the nursery. Finally, a married couple of four kids said, we'll do it no matter what. And they started doing it. And thank God people have been coming along since then. I get it, man. COVID, it's sort of like, COVID was like a long weekend for everybody's life. Like we just had a year off and then suddenly it's like, I don't think I want to get that busy again, you know? And, and I'm, again, I'm speaking in generalities. I'm being a little bit facetious. But, but the reality is we've got to engage. We've got to get involved in people's lives. And we need to help. We've got young families in the church. They're just starting a journey that many of us have. have uh, I want, you never complete that journey, by the way. If you've got little babies, that, that's, a life, that's a lifelong sentence. But um, you, You're going to have that rest of your life. But, but how are we helping them? You know, maybe they don't have a parent that showed them. And they're looking at some of you going, can you help me? Can you tell me, how did you handle this? How do you do that? We've got to love each other. We've got to get together. We've got to do those things. How are we serving the children? Because as I mentioned earlier, there is an attack on the family. We have an enemy. If he can destroy, this is God's basic building block of society and culture and country is the family. It comes back to the family. And that has changed in, in America over the years from when people first came to these shores to today. It looks different. But the, basis is, the basics are still the same. What does that look like? And, and how does that work? It started, the attack of the enemy started in the garden. God, made, God intended for Adam and Eve to have children even before the fall. But they fell before they had the first one. And the first two weren't that great. It was the third one that the line of Jesus starts. It's in Seth. That the line of Jesus starts. But Satan divided and conquered mankind at that time. And we surrendered authority at that moment. But we need to obey God to glorify him. 
We need to be together. Husbands and wives should not be each other's enemy. We see that, that obedience to God is what he was after, that his headship over us has not diminished, that we need to be submitted to him. And then in the family, that happens in the man and wife's relationship. It's differing roles, but it's not differing importance. And in Ephesians 5, uh, it is a long passage on God talking about the family, that husbands are to love their wives and lead their families. Wives are to follow their husband's leadership, and together they're to nurture and raise their children. But it's really the responsibility of the dad to make sure that happens. And children to be, are to be obedient to their parents. We see all of these elements in Adam and Eve, and, and, uh, and it's still valid for us today. And so we have these spheres of roles, and you may be a child. Most of our children have gone to church for kids, but, but you may still be in your parents' home, and you have a responsibility. Parents have a responsibility to their children, husbands to their wives, wives to their husbands, and it's in the Scripture. We would have done more about that tonight, uh, but obviously we're not going to be here tonight unless you've got a dog sled and you want to come. But, but again, this is a divine design. And it would do us well to study that divine design. I, I want to read a, a, a verse out of Deuteronomy that, that is very huge in, in uh, the Jewish peoples. But it applies, obviously, to us. And it, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You'll bind them as a sign on your hand. There'll be a frontlet between your eyes. You'll write them on the doorpost of your house. And on your gates. And the Jewish people do that literally. By writing it. And there's... COVID spread so fast in Israel because they have that verse on a plaque outside of their door. And they kiss it and touch it. And so everybody got COVID. Because <laughs> they kept doing that. And in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would hang that, you know, and it's bumping against their head. Yet they weren't living it. And he called them hypocrites. And we love to look at the Pharisees and go, yeah, those guys were bad. They're just like us. So many times they're like us. We know what it says. We give lip service to it, but do we live it out? And so I, I want to challenge you today, whatever family you're in, it may only be this family. And that's an awesome thing. And we have an awesome responsibility to take care of one another. I love the term brother and sister. I love those terms. I love using that term. We are, we are all children of God. We're given different roles and responsibilities, but we're all just children of God. And and, and God, as we said, we were doing uh, about faith last week and Sunday night. God acts fatherly to his children. He, he, he acts fatherly to all people, but he is the father only of his children. Right? God lets the rain, the Bible says, fall on the just and the unjust. He acts fatherly toward all, but he's father to us. We have an access the Bible says, so we call him daddy. That's what that word Abba means. Daddy, father. We have an intimacy with him. And we ought to picture that into our families. And we ought to 
to be a family that loves God above all things. So, what can you do as you go home today? Well, first of all, evaluate the spiritual temperature of your family. Take that spiritual temperature. Just You do that for yourself. Just where do you think y'all are? Where do you think you might ought to be? And then what are you doing to preserve your family and your church's family? You may not be a member of this church, but you can take this home to your church. What are you doing to make sure in your family you're, you're doing your part to bring about God's best in that family? And then the third thing I would say is take action before it's too late. I don't think it's ever too late. I put that in more as an encouragement. Because the Bible says God can make up the years the locusts have eaten. God can, God can restore. Many of you are praying for kids that have gone, gone wayward. Janice is reading the book by Tim Keller on the prodigal God. I would recommend that you get that book and read it. Because you'll realize how much God loves you. How much God has done for you. When you truly understand the story of the prodigal son, it would take 30 minutes and another sermon, so I'm not going to get into it. It actually would take several sermons to go through that, so we're going to just stop there. But, but I would recommend that, that God loves us excessively, and we don't have to doubt that when he's our father. I've asked the ushers to pass something out, so you can take, each of you can have one. I think there's enough for everybody, but it's meant for, for you and your family. You're not going to do anything with it right now. You're going to take it home with you and read it. It's a family pledge. And while they're passing those out, and if they need some help, somebody else, jump up and help them. i only got two guys doing it. A couple more guys jump up real quick. Thanks. It's, I just call it Calvary Baptist Church Family Pledge. I, I, I stole this and then reworded it, okay? So I, I'm not this smart. But in view of the truth that God in his abundant grace and wisdom created mankind to be born, nurtured, and taught how to live in a committal, uh, committed family consisting of a marriage made up of a man and woman, Genesis 2, 18 to 24, in a committed and unbroken relationship resulting in children as a blessing from the Lord, Psalm 127, 3. And recognizing the church of Jesus Christ as the family of God, I commit myself, whether single or married, to Jesus, Calvary Baptist Church, and my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pledge to work together to achieve these goals, both receiving and giving in the spirit of meekness, encouragement, help, and exhortation. Even if I'm not married or have children, I will take responsibility to help marriages and children in Calvary Baptist Church. I will strive to join in community and partnership with Calvary to seek support and encouragement from the body of Christ in striving toward these goals, Acts 2. 42 to 47. I will strive to recognize that children first and foremost belong to God. They're a gift from God. Psalm 127, 3. I will strive to pursue God's plan for a healthy and godly marriage. And if I am single, I pledge myself to glorify God in any marriage to come. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. I will personally study God's word. Psalm 1, 8. Psalm 119, 11. Romans 12, 2. I will strive to set a standard for my household that, as for me and my house, we will honor and serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. I will strive to raise my children in obedience to the Lord to impart God's truth and to pray for them. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, which I just read. Ephesians 6, 4. Psalm 128, 1 through 4. And if I have suffered past failures in these areas, today I ask God to help me to be the person he wants me to be 
and to make up the years the enemy has stolen. Malachi 4. And then there's a place to sign. And if one of those doesn't apply to you and you just want to sign the bottom, that's free. But you take that home with you. You pray over that. You talk with, about that if you're married with your mate. Talk about it with your children if you've got children. And sign it together. I didn't put children's names down there, but you could do that. Get them to sign. Yes, I want to I learn. I want to be a part of that. It is, it is never too early to prepare for marriage. If you're young in here, if you're a kid, everything in your life is preparing you for that, to do that. But if you're already married, or like I said, some, some may be struggling today or had past struggles, today you start anew. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And today can begin that new walk. And that we do that together as a family. If you're ever in need, you say, I don't know who to talk to. Call me and I'll try to help you. And we'll try to help you find somebody if I'm not the guy to help. So I want you to take that home with you today. And that would be sort of like our invitation today. That, that sheet of paper. But listen, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know that he's your father. I don't want you to leave without knowing him. 